This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, and this is Launchpad, where I talk to successful entrepreneurs about the secrets to launching and growing their startups. I'm super lucky to be joined now by Philip Williams, who's the co-founder of Spectrum Scores. Philip, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks so much for having me, Carl. All right. So I like to start, actually, the first thing I want to start with is just pointing our listeners to your uh, website. So you, uh, let's see, it's spectrumscores.org. Right. Yes, sir. Yep. Okay. Now, uh, give us the elevator pitch for Spectrum Scores. Sure. So, uh, despite significant improvements in a number of social and political areas over the past decade or so, LGBTQ patients still face significant disparities in terms of their healthcare access and outcomes. Um, all the founders of Spectrum Scores are future uh, future physicians, and uh, we believe that it is the responsibility of healthcare providers to be working to end the trend of poor health outcomes for sexual and gender minorities. Uh, unfortunately, we've, we've found that it is far too often the case that healthcare providers are actually um, contributing to these trends, um, or at the very least, not fighting to end them. Uh, so Spectrum Scores was founded as a way to empower LGBTQ patients to take control of their own healthcare by offering an intuitive ranking and review system for healthcare providers across disciplines on the basis of their LGBT competence. Um, by providing all of this information and leveraging the uh, collective experience of the community, we hope to be able to connect these patients to the best providers to meet their unique needs. All right. So, so Philip, give us a real practical example. And uh, so, of a, of a, of a, well, just give us a practical example. What are the kinds of challenges that LBGTQ patients face? Sure. And yeah. um, so. Uh, we found in our own research that the types of challenges that these pa- patients face when trying to access healthcare providers that are competent to meet their needs fall into two major categories. One is uh, simply finding providers that are well-meaning but under-informed on the particular needs of the community. Things like uh, PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis for uh, HIV, or uh, hormone replacement therapy for transgender patients. And finding providers to uh, meet these needs competently and in a knowledgeable fashion uh, is uh, inordinately difficult. The other is uh, simply, uh, you know, examples of overt discrimination. Mm. Um, a, a number of, uh, a large percentage of transgender patients in particular, but patients across the LGBTQ spectrum uh, still face things like being outright denied healthcare yeah. um, in a number of in a number of areas. And and what is the prevalence? So if you were to interview. I, I suppose it varies quite a bit geographically, but but how big a deal, I well, guess, is the question. Yeah. So interestingly, uh, we've actually found that it may not uh, vary as, as dramatically as you would think across mm-hmm. geographic areas. So uh, uh, one of the major uh, spurring points for, for our work on this project was a study conducted by Lambda Legal, which indicated that nationwide about 56% of LGBT patients uh, have faced serious discrimination in healthcare settings. Mm-hmm. We wanted to see basically whether that was um, you know, restricted to certain geographic locations, rural areas, or is this happening right here in Philadelphia, where we're where we're training to be healthcare yeah. professionals? Um, so we conducted our own research, um, and we got, we got responses that indicated about two thirds of pa- of LGBT patients in Philadelphia have had um, trouble accessing wow. providers to meet their needs. And this is in a major metropolitan area. In yeah. a major metropolitan yeah. area, yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, now that we get the the problem, tell us a little bit more about the solution. So how does uh, how does it work? Sure. Um, so the primary functionality is that users will be able to search for providers um, either by the types of conditions that they're looking for, the procedures that they do, or the specialty that they work in in their particular geographic location. 
um, and then a, a list of providers comes up, essentially like a HealthGrades or a ZocDoc um, or a Yelp for um, LGBT patients. We've then worked to conglomerate data from across a number of available databases so that we're able to feature those providers that are best able to meet the needs of the community. Once a, provi- once a user has seen a provider, they can then review the provider on the basis of four, LGBT, uh, four metrics designed to um, reflect uh, LGBT competence in a healthcare provider. These include uh, providing a welcoming environment, having inclusive processes, their LGBTQ plus specific knowledge, uh, as well as uh, overall satisfaction because these patients are patients too. Um, so by kind of leveraging the personal experiences of members of the community and combining that with a really robust database of information uh, conglomerated from across the web, um, we're hoping to be able to connect provider, uh, users to the best provider to meet their needs with just a couple clicks of a button. Yeah. So I, I, the Yelp analogy is a really good one. So I, I, I think it's pretty easy to imagine how, how this might work, and it, and it involves peer-to-peer communication, peer-to-peer information. Um, but talk a little bit about the provider side. So... So is does the pro, is the provider typically aware that this is happening and in fact participating actively in either courting the LGBTQ population or in 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 changing behaviors in order to be more more welcoming? Yeah. Sure. Um, so it, it's a range, honestly. Um, so some providers, uh, some users are leaving reviews of providers who um, maybe weren't even in the database to begin with. Yeah. Um, and those reviews are counted just as much as any other. Mm-hmm. Um, however, we've, we've found that actually providers have been incredibly receptive to the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well over 100 have reached out to us trying to um, upgrade their profiles on the site, um, trying to reach these patients. And the thing is that, especially in a place like Philadelphia, we really do think that the providers that, that have worked to gain the specialty, to gain the expertise that they need to work with this population, they exist. The problem is there's no way to identify them. Um, so it can really be a mutually beneficial uh, situation where the LGBT patient just wants a provider who understands them, understands their particular issues, and will treat them with respect. And there are providers who have worked to gain that expertise. Mm-hmm. So it's really been a mutual thing. We've been able to partner with a, a number of clinics in each of our launch cities. Um, and that's uh, one of our main ways of getting the word out to patients, in fact, is uh, directly from the providers themselves. Okay. So uh, take us back and tell us a little bit about the journey. So um, I... It looks like you you went to Penn uh, yes, and as an undergrad, but you're now a med student, and it looks like a couple years away from getting your degree. Um, at what point did how did you recognize the opportunity, and then when did you decide, hey, I need to be an entrepreneur and actually go pursue this opportunity? While I'm guessing you had nothing else to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you you've kind of hit on it. The yeah. the problem was that we didn't have enough to do in medical school, yeah, so exactly. we, we really just wanted to you know fill our time up. Yeah, so that was yeah, the main thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in, for for me personally, um, I've always been interested in entrepreneurship. Yeah. Between my time at Penn and uh, my time back at Penn doing them uh, as a medical student, mm-hmm. I actually pursued a degree um, in bioscience enterprise um, uh. in the UK. And that's where I kind of gained some of the skills and knowledge needed to um, help get this thing off the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but when when June and Naveen, who are my co-founders, uh, and I met was actually at the uh, problem night for a competition called HealthX Labs. Which and, is, and they're also, are they also Penn Medicine? They're, yes, they're also Penn Med students. Yeah, um, yeah. The three of us are all Penn Med yeah, students, yeah. yeah. Um, so the, this competition called HealthX Labs is essentially designed to connect a Wharton student, an engineering student, and a medical student uh. um, to work on uh, working on a medical innovation. Mm-hmm. We went to the problem night and found that we weren't necessarily the most excited about the ideas that were being thrown, mm-hmm. thrown around. 
um, decided to go a little bit rogue and work on our own project. LGBT health was not our initial idea. We yeah. went through home urinalysis kits, uh, universal blood pressure cuffs, yeah, wearables yeah, to prevent yeah, syncope, yeah. the whole the whole deal. So you so you came together first as entrepreneurs. First as entrepreneurs, yeah. 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 Without the without necessarily the focus. Uh, yeah. we, we'd never even met before yeah. this, before this night. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, and and then where did this how where did this opportunity was it just were you running a, sort of your own tournament of ideas or where did where did how did the idea bubble up? Yeah. Um, so I personally am a member of the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. Naveen and June consider themselves allies, and they've proven themselves mm-hmm. to be incredible allies. We've all been personally affected in one way or another by the challenge of facing, uh, challenge of accessing LGBT competent mm-hmm. healthcare. Um, and the thing is, we were as we faced each of these ideas, as we considered them. Um, really, medical school is difficult and yeah. a challenge all on its own. So what we kept realizing is that if we weren't really passionate about the idea mm-hmm. that we were facing, that we were trying to address, it wasn't going to work. Um, so we decided to really dig deep and figure out the problem we were trying to solve. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted to help a vulnerable population get the health care that mm-hmm. they've lacked for a long time. Yeah. So I noticed in the in the URL, and I'll go give you a, a plug again, it's uh, spectrumscores.org. Use that .org. So are you organized as a nonprofit? Um, we're actually not. We're, yeah. we're organized as an LLC at the moment. Yeah. Um, SpectrumScores.org was, uh, you know, really just the cheaper option. Yeah. Um, so uh, when we're, we've been trying to really bootstrap and use every dollar for its. Uh, but but so SpectrumScores.com was not available. It's a pretty obscure name. It yeah. is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, it was available. It just cost too much money. Come on! It cost nine dollars. Uh, it cost nineteen hundred dollars at the time. Okay. It was available for sale. It was it available was, for okay. sale. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it may have been our own fault. I was okay. told that maybe looking it up too many times. Uh, yeah, yeah, I <laughs> don't know. know. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so that's interesting. So I, I, you know, you, you guys are all do-gooders, right? You, 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 you're, I presume you're going, you went to medicine cause you wanted to save lives and improve health and all that. How did, how'd you think through that question of, I suppose there's, there's two parts to the question. One is whether to pursue it as a for-profit venture and, and uh, to sort of take it seriously as a, as a for-profit venture, as opposed to a model in which you get this thing going on the side as physicians and sort of enable it as a nonprofit. Uh, did you ever think that through? Uh, and how did, and what, how'd you, how, what was your thinking? Um, we have thought that through. Yeah. Um, and it's actually an ongoing discussion. Yeah. Um, so you kind of hit on it. We wanted to we wanted to approach this as uh, something serious that yeah. we were pursuing um, as a venture all on its own. We thought that there was interesting opportunities, and we continue to think that there are un- interesting opportunities in the for-profit space. Um, and we don't think we've closed off options to eventually transition or to spin off nonprofit yeah. uh, ideas. Um, so uh, it's an ongoing discussion, yeah. but we're trying to take advantage of what we think is the most open and the most yeah. uh, available opportunities. Yeah, so one just tiny bit of advice, actually two comments on it. One is... I'm highly enthusiastic and supportive of using for-profit ventures to to pursue social goals. I just think the the mechanisms associated with financing, hiring, all those things are just so much easier in in a for-profit setting. Yeah, I, I think you should look at the domain a little bit because I think that do, .org you might come across as being a little uh, confusing. Sure. And so that's just a little bit of advice on that, I and and more it. general advice to to our listeners on that on that topic. We just have a uh, another minute, but uh, tell us how it's going. What what the traction is? Um, it's going really well. Uh, so we launched on October 11th, 2017, uh, in honor of National Coming Out Day. Mm. Um, we launched in Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, New York City, and Chicago. Um, since then, we've built uh, a user base. We have about 2,000 people signed up for, for the site. Nice. Um, we've uh, gotten a lot of feedback from our users, and we've kind of iteratively improved the website, added uh, premium profiles, 
a number of other features, and we're excited to be expanding both in terms of our functionality and, uh, and, and our geographic location. So we're, we're really excited about it, and we're looking forward to seeing where we can take it. All right, Philip. Well, it's super impressive that three med students can can get a business off the ground. So we're doing our best. <laughs> yeah, you're you're just overachieving, rate busters. <laughs> All right. I appreciate so, that. so Philip, thanks thanks so much for making the time. Of course. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. So for more information about Spectrum Scores, you just go to spectrumscores.org. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM Channel 111. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.